You could take out your phone and put it on silent, please. Um, I encourage you guys, if you could limit your going back and forth um, out of our sanctuary, and if you could limit looking at your phone, I'd love to spend these next 40 minutes or so just completely focused on what God would like to um, do in our hearts as we look at a couple of passages of Scripture today. Um, we really want you to be able to get all that you can while you're here and be blessed by it and want you to uh, not be a distraction to people around you. Um, we have an app that's called FC Online, and you can go through all the verses that we're going to be going through today. I'd actually encourage for this series, if you could look at that like after uh, you leave, and I have purposely not put a lot of notes up on the screen either because I really just would like to have this an interesting conversation about what it looks like and what it means to be human. Uh, we wrapped up last week, uh, Paula Lehman wrapped up our series uh, called Squad. I was like, what is that series called? Squad. And, and Squad was about laying down our differences for the cause of Christ. Um, and this series, Human, is kind of a sequel to Squad, is that we're going to be looking at what can we unite over um, in our humanity. And so if we can lay down our differences, what, what makes us similar to one another? And I don't know if you've noticed, uh, I know I have, maybe I'm alone, but the world's pretty divided right now. And people are really focused on our differences and focused on what divides us instead of on what unites us. And we believe as followers of Jesus, ultimately, uh, the only uniting factor that will help us as the human race is Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, God become flesh, uh, who lived a perfect life, who died on behalf of our sins, for our sins, so that they may be forgiven and washed away, and who rose again to give us new life. That's where we find the ultimate unifying factor in humanity. But, but even those who don't follow Jesus, there are things that we have in common just simply because we are human. And again, I think that at least in American culture, um, we've tried to define humanity with all sorts of things that God's Word has not defined humanity. And so, um, strangely, a lot of the things that we're going to be preaching about the next four or five weeks are actually very controversial. They wouldn't have been two years ago. And so, it's, it's, it's strange to say, like, it's controversial to think that we should unify. It's controversial to think that we should be at peace with one another. It's controversial to see that God has made us in his image. And so we're going to wrestle with some things that, that you might find like culture doesn't teach us any longer, and we need to get back to God's word to see what it means to be human. And so we're going to look at for five weeks what it means to be human. And today, if you're taking notes, we've just got five real brief things that I want to get um, kind of out in front that says, here's five things that it means to be human. And so if, if you are here today and you are human, would you raise your hand? If you're human, raise your hand. What, what are you if you're not? Like, if you're here and human, raise your hand. If you're here and you're not a human, would you raise your hand? Rough. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, who are you if you're not human? So what does it mean to be human? If we're going to look at what it means to be human, we need to go back to the origins of humanity, and we find the origins of humanity in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and we're going to be using that text for most of this series. And um, if you'd like to go incredibly in-depth on this message today, about a year and a half ago, we did a series called First Things First, where we spent about six weeks looking at the first three chapters of Genesis. You can go very deep if you go back to those messages First things first on our podcast, YouTube, Facebook, website, etc. Uh, but we're going to 
to touch on some of those things today, what it means to be human. So if you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27, we're going to look all the way through verse 31. Today is basically the scripture we're going to be going for. Uh, There's a lot of scriptures I'll be referencing that are in the notes on our app, but we might not get really far into some of those passages of scripture. So Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So right off the bat, we're introduced to this self-existent, all-powerful, all-knowing, forever and always God who exists forever and always, co-equally, co-eternally as God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And so God, throughout Genesis 1 and redescribed from a different viewpoint in Genesis 2, creates the heavens and the earth. And God does this over the course of five days. And throughout that series, First Things First, we talked about, like, what does it mean that God created the world in five days? And are those literal days? Are they time periods? You can go listen, study. It's irrelevant to this conversation today. But what's important is that God creates the world in five days. And at the end of every day that God is creating the world, and when I say five days, it's before he creates man. Uh, he creates the heavens and the earth. He says at the end of every day, God saw... And behold, it was, anybody know what it says? It was good. It was good. So these things that God created during these five days, they were always good. And by the time we get to the sixth day, God creates uh, man. And when we use the word man throughout this series, we're going to be usually just referencing mankind, humanity. Man is not just simply a, a, a sex or gender term. It's just simply a word for all of mankind. So on the sixth day, God creates man, and we find that, Again, in Genesis 1, 26, we're going to read through verse 28. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So I'm going to be speaking to you uh, today on five things it means to be human. So number one, to be human is to be made in the image of God. To be human is to be the image of God. We'll spend most of our time today on that topic. We've got four real quick ones, but we need to talk about what it means to be made in the image of God. And so what does that mean? Um, In order to learn what passages of Scripture mean, you need to actually go to the original language. Uh, The book of Genesis, the entire Old Testament, in fact, was not written in English. It wasn't written in Greek. It was written in Hebrew with a little bit of the language known as Aramaic. And the Hebrew is what Genesis 1 is written in. And so if we go to the words for God created man in his image after his likeness, this word image in the language of Hebrew, I don't have it in your notes, uh, but it's this word selim. And and if you were to transliterate that to English, it's like T-S-E-L-E-M, selim. And in um, just to to summarize what that word selim or, or image means, the actual definition of that word is a phantom an illusion, a resemblance, a representative figure, especially an idol. 
And so throughout human history, mankind has built and made graven images or idols to worship false gods. Those idols represented an evil false deity that is not the true God of all creation and the God of Scripture that we worship today. And so this word Salem, it means to be a representative figure, something that represents its God. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, let us make man in our Salem. Let's make man as a representative figure who will represent God amongst creation. And then it says in verse 26, not just in our image, but after our likeness. And that word likeness in Hebrew is the word Duluth. And I won't even try to spell that, but you can uh, look it up. I'll, I'll throw it in our notes because it's not in our notes now, but I'll put it up later. But just simply uh, Demuth. That means resemblance, concretely, model, shape, fashion, likeness, manner, similarity. And so God says, let us make a creature that is our representative figure that represents God that is similar to us. And so what does it mean to be made in the image of God? So the first question oftentimes as children we ask is, do we look like God? And if you're like, yeah, I really look like God, well, you've got some vanity issues um, if you think that you look like God. But Jesus says in John chapter 4 that God is spirit. We have to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so God does not have a physical body like you or I have. And that's one of the reasons God doesn't want us to make any graven image after him is because he doesn't actually have a physical image that we could behold. And so you don't look like God. I don't look like God. We don't look like God. And so what does it mean? Some will say that to be made in the image or the similarity to God means that we share some of our attributes with God. The ability to reason, the ability to have intellect, the ability to have free will, the ability to make our own decisions, the idea of morality to make good or evil choices. The ability to love or to have companionship or to be in relationship, to have sentience or self-awareness, to nurture others, to have knowledge or wisdom. We'll say, because we possess these things and God does, that's what it means to be made in God's image. But let me challenge that idea for a minute. Animals possess a lot of those things. Animals oftentimes know how to love, how to show compassion, how to be nurturing, how to make their own mind and decisions. If you've ever had a dog before, every dog I've met is far greater at showing empathy and compassion towards people than any person I've ever met. You ever found that to be true? And if you have not found that to be true, you just haven't had the right dog. Uh, um, but man, dogs are amazing. But then if you've ever had a cat before, you realize they hate you. They, they, they just see you as someone that serves them. And so it's like they, they have this ability to make up all these decisions and to make your life like hell however they want to. And so animals have some of these capacity. And so if you look at it this way, you might say, okay, well, are animals made in the image of God because they share some of the capabilities or attributes of God? And the answer is no, there's something different about man because it's only mankind that was made in the image of God, not animals. Something else to consider is that oftentimes these attributes of God, not all people possess. Sometimes it takes years and years and years to possess some of the attributes that God has. And so you might say, is a baby not human because it doesn't possess the attributes of God? And the answer to that is, oh, no, a baby is very human. From the moment of conception, it's human. God has created and fashioned and knit that baby together in its mother's womb. It's very much human. Oftentimes people will lose 
the attributes of God through injury or through age, things like dementia or being able to lose some of their capacity. Would you say that someone who has lost some of those things is no longer human? Absolutely not. Sometimes people are born without some of these attributes uh, due to disability. Would we say they're any less human than us? No way. And so there's some that possess more attributes of God. Some of you are far greater at showing compassion than I am. Some of you are far smarter than I am. Some of you are, are far better at relationship than me. Does that mean you're more human or less human than me or vice versa? The answer is no. Artificial intelligence possesses some of these attributes. Um, is your computer made in the image of God? No, it's not. Siri can't even pay attention to what I'm saying half the time. She's not made after the image of God. So what do these things mean? Is it the attributes that we possess that make us in the image of God? No. It's certainly part of it, but it's not what makes us special because some humans have more or less. Animals have some. Artificial intelligence has some. Well, some people would say, okay, pastor, well, God created the world, and as a result, he made us to create as well, and because it's our ability to create that makes us like God, that's what makes us in the image of God, and I would say, not really. Um, One, animals can create. There's elephants that paint better than some of us do. Uh, Computers can create art. And so while I would say, yeah, humans' capacity to create beautiful works of art, whether it's visual art or it's composing music or it's singing a song or acting in a drama or writing a play or penning a poem or producing literature, all these things are beautiful things that God certainly has given us. These are attributes that we share with God. But these things are not ultimately what makes us unique, special, different. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And I'll show you that we actually find it in verse 27. Verse 26 says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And the first words of verse 27 are, And let them have dominion. Let them have dominion over all the living things that creep on the earth. And so these two things are tied intricately together, the image of God and the dominion over creation. Because that word, Salim, it means a representative figure. In the book of Genesis, it was written around the year, uh, probably around 18 to 1500 BC. Likely Moses pens this book as God leads him to do so. And in that culture and in the time this was written, speaking of an event that happened thousands and thousands of years before, kings were the only representatives of God. And so we look to things like ancient Egypt and the pharaohs. They represented the false pantheon of Egyptian gods. Caesar was a representative for the false pantheon of Greek gods. And Roman generals and kings oftentimes were the representatives for Caesar, who was the representative of another god. And so in this culture, to have dominion over something meant that you were a king. And only kings could actually reflect and be representatives of their god and have dominion over all things. And so when you look at the beauty of Scripture and see how countercultural this actually is, that this idea of being made in the image of God and to be able to be a representative of God, it's not just for kings, it's for everybody. Every single human being is made in the image and likeness of God, regardless of class or power or whatever it may be. We've all been created to image God, and so you and I are God's representative figures on this earth. 
And so when we get to verse number, I believe it's 28 and 29 of Genesis chapter 1, we'll read this again. Verse 26, uh, 27, we'll go to verse 28. God blessed them. This is Adam and Eve. He said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over, again, everything that lives over the earth. And so God doesn't just show us in his word what it means to be made in his image, that we are his representative figures on earth, but he actually gives a commandment or a mandate to Adam and Eve that ties those things together. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue the earth, have dominion, represent me amongst my creation. So a question that has to be asked is, does God need us to represent him to his creation? The answer is no. But he loves us, he chooses us, he calls us to do it. And so this true idea of to be made in the image of God, it actually means to be an imager of God. Each of us image God wherever we go. I'll use something to describe this idea. Someone who practices medicine is a doctor. Someone who practices law is an attorney. Someone who sells things is a salesperson. Someone who does plumbing is a plumber. These things, their vocation and what they are called are intricately tied together. And so an imager of God, what is someone who is the image of God? What do they do? Well, they image God. And because they image God, they're an imager of God. And so being made in the image of God is not just sharing attributes with God. It's not just the ability to create. It's certainly not the ability to look like him. But to be made in the image of God is to show off God to his creation. To be an imager of God is to reflect God to all of creation and to represent him in everything that we do. And so you've been called to show off God. You've been called to image God. You've been called to reflect God. And most importantly, you've been called to represent God on this earth. To whom? To everyone. How are you doing at that? How are we doing at imaging God? And I would say oftentimes... Myself, I can speak for myself pretty poorly. But yet, that's what we've been called to do. And you might say, well, Pastor, aren't you going to talk about sin? And, oh, we'll talk about that a lot throughout this series. And you might say, well, sin really stains the ability to image God because we're sinners by nature. We have a sin nature. And I would say, you're right. It does, it does give us a stain. It does separate us from God without intervention from God through Jesus Christ. But even those who are most far away from God are still made in his image. And every human being has equal value and worth before God. Whether they trust God, love God, follow God or not, they're still made in his image. And nothing can actually take that away from someone. Look at one more scripture in relation to this. It's Genesis 9, 6. God says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. I want you to know that human life is very important. Human life is incredibly important. No one can take away the fact that you are made in the image of God. Being made in the image of God, it's who you are. It's what you've been called to do. Whether you want to embrace that or not, you're still made in the image of God. You still have been called to reflect him 
And whether you're reflecting him poorly or reflecting him by the power and the might of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, you're still made in the image of God. And I'm just telling you, no one can take that away from you. We had a a dear brother in our church pass away um, a couple of months ago. His name was Brant Kennedy. And right before COVID had hit, um, he was in his 90s. I don't remember his exact age, but he he had a conversation with me in our lobby, and he was like, do, do I still have a purpose? What, why am I still alive? What am I still doing? I'm like, Brant, you, you're one of the best reflections of God I've ever known. And you're still reflecting him despite your age. It doesn't matter how old you are. God's still using you to show him off to the world. And so I got to be present and interact with the, the funeral that we conducted for this precious man uh, about a month or so ago. And just to hear the stories of how this man, even in his 90s, even when his health started to decline, how much he still was showing off God, even to random people that went in to visit him in this nursing home, just talking about this guy showed off God well, even though his health and his mind is not what it was. So when does someone stop being in the image of God? And the answer is you, you just don't. You don't. And and I sense pushback because here's the problem. You've been taught that mankind has been made in mankind's image. You think that you are the one to call the shots with what image you will be made after. And so we try to make ourselves in our own image. We fail every time we do that. You haven't been called to choose your image. I haven't been called to choose mine. I've been called created to be the image of God, whether I like it or not? Will I align myself with his will or will I reject him by trying to make my life my own when instead my life has always belonged to God? So number one, to be human is to be made in the image of God. You are called to show off, reflect, and represent God. Number two is this. Number two, because we've been made in the image of God, Because of our uniqueness, our specialness, because we're different than the rest of creation, God loves you, God cares for you, and you are wanted by him. Number one, you're made in the image of God. That's what it means to be human. Number two, to be human is to be loved, cared for, and wanted. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world so much that he gave his son. You know how much you're worth? You're worth the life of Jesus. You're worth the blood of Jesus Christ. You're loved. You are cared for by God. Psalms 8, David says, God, who am I that you would care about me? You've created the vastness of all creation, and yet you've put me in dominion over the earth, and I'm just one man, and you're mindful of me? You care about me? It doesn't even make sense. God cares about us so much that when he created us, he didn't use mere words to create us. He didn't say, let there be man and let there be woman. What the Bible says God actually did, even though he doesn't have a physical body, somehow he hand-formed us from the dust of the earth. God personally breathed the breath of life into our nostrils. We are so important to God. He loves us so much. He cares for us so much that when God creates woman, he doesn't just say, let there be woman, but he sacrifices a part of man as he takes a side, a piece of Adam's side, and he then fashions Eve after his own image. God is intricately involved in our creation, so much so that David says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're cared for so much by God that your... um, 
Your existence, your mother's pregnancy was not by chance. Your mother's pregnancy was not just something that happened. Instead, the Bible says you are knit together in your mother's womb. There's no such thing as an accident person. There's no such thing as a mistake baby. Humans are made in the image of God. They're loved. They're cared for. They're knit together. And you are wanted. There might be such thing as unwanted people in the world, but to God, there's no such thing as unwanted people. In the church, there should be no such thing as unwanted people. God desperately wants relationship with you so much so that it says God doesn't desire that any would perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. God walked face to face with Adam and Eve in the garden. God wants relationship. Does God need you? No. Does God need friends? No you do. And you're privileged to get to walk in relationship with God. So to be human is to be made in the image of God. To be human is to be loved, cared for, and wanted. And because of all these things, because this is how God's made us, because God loves us so much, to be human is to be eternal. To be human is to be forever. Ecclesiastes 3 says, God has put eternity in the hearts of man. And so each and every one of us have been called to live forever. Each and every one of us have been called to live eternally. Genesis 2 and 3 talk about the tree of life, that that if we were to continue to eat of it while we were in the presence of God, we would live forever. But God has put eternity in our hearts. We've all been created. We've all been made to live forever. And sometimes I think as Christians, we we preach the wrong gospel. We'll say, if you give your life to Jesus, you'll have everlasting life. Here's the deal. You're going to have everlasting life either way. John chapter 5. Jesus said, when the dead are resurrected, not if, but when, some will be raised to judgment and some will be raised to everlasting true life. Jesus said, I am the life, by the way. So what does that mean? It means eternal life with Jesus or eternal life apart from him. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Jesus talks about hell more than he does about heaven because he loves you so much he doesn't desire that you would go there. And so to be human is to be forever. We call ourselves mere mortals, but we're actually immortal. That's the state God's created us to live in. And so we choose by whether or not we put trust in Jesus. Will we live with Christ or will we not Two more, but to recap on the first three, to be human is to be made in the image of God. To be human is to be loved, cared for, and wanted. To be human is to be forever. And to be human, number four, is to be male or female. Hear me out on this. A fascinating thing I want to share with you in regards to what it means to be male or female. Genesis 1.27, it says, God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. This may be controversial, but there's no such thing as humanity without men and women. We need men and women. That's how God created us to be. In fact, when God first created just a man, he actually said this. He said, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Every other creation, God said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. But this isn't good. Now, it's not that God made a mistake. It's that God wanted Adam to recognize that there was no one after his kind there in the garden where God had placed them. And so God says it's not good that Adam would be alone. 
So if you were to have just men on the earth, that would not be good. If you were to have just women on the earth, I think it would work out, but it still wouldn't be good. Um, pause, rewind. Okay. It just wouldn't be good. Men would be a mess by themselves. Women would be okay. There'd be a lot of drama, but, but, it, but it'd be all right. Um, but, and so it's not good for there just to be men or just to be women. Humanity is best reflected in the community of both sexes. Humanity, God, is best reflected in the community of both sexes. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? That means women possess attributes from God that God has that men do not possess in the same capacity, period. That means that men possess attributes from God that God possesses that women do not possess in the same capacity. That means that men image, way, image God in ways that women don't, and women image God in ways that men don't. We say, are, are men and women like lesser than or equal to than each other? No, not lesser than, not at all. Um, scripture actually says there's neither male nor female in the kingdom of God. doesn't mean they're not different. It means that they are equal in value and worth. And so if you were here today and if you are a man or if you are a woman, you are equal in value and worth before God and before one another. But men and women are different. We've been created differently from one another, and within society, there are different roles that God has called us to play as men and as women. And so pushback that you might get on this within the church is, Pastor, I'm single. And so are you telling me that I'm not fully human, I'm not fully a man, or I'm not fully a woman unless I'm married? Not at all. In fact, Scripture says, if you can do it, it's better to not be married. There, there is great benefits to not being married. And so that means if you're a man, if you don't get married, you still reflect the image of God and are equal in value and worth to every other human being on earth. And if you are a single woman, you are still equal in value and worth before God and every single human being. And you're not less of a person because you're not married, not at all. But it does mean to fully reflect the intended state of creation. We need to be in community, in relationship, in church, in neighborhoods with men and women. Men and women are needed for society to flourish and to function because God created mankind to reflect him well as male and female. If it wasn't so, he wouldn't have created one or the other. He would have made us all the same. And so God, when he creates Adam, and then he creates Eve as a woman, he doesn't just step back and say, it's good. He actually makes a different statement in Genesis 1.31. Genesis 1.31 says, and God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was, what does it say? Very good. Behold, it was very good. Things were not very good until the creation of mankind. Things were not very good, specifically until the creation of woman, which leads us to number five. Number one, to be human is to be in the image of God. Number two, it's to be loved, cared for, wanted. Number three, it's to be eternal. Number four, it is to be men or women. And then number five is this. To be human is to be good. That's contrary to everything we're taught sometimes in Christianity. 
To be human is to be good. In fact, to be human is to be very good. See, God declared you when he made you to be good. God declared you when he made you to be very good. You say again, but I'm stained by sin. I'm marred by death. I have a sin nature. I want to sin all the time. Yeah, me too. But we're still created good. We're still created in the image of God. Despite our sin, God created us for good. Despite your sin, my sin, God created us to do good. Each and every person has the capacity to do good things. Each and every person has the capacity to create good things. There are intrinsic things about all mankind that are good. So you might notice that an atheist is an incredible artist. You might notice that someone of a different religion is an incredibly compassionate person. You might notice someone who is the furthest from God has good attributes about them that God has bestowed upon them. So we need to start recognizing that. James 1 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So anytime you see good in somebody else, we need to call it out. It doesn't matter what they think about God or not. We need to call out good in others and let them know that they can strive towards being and doing good things. And so look for things to call out in others, whether they know Jesus or not, that are actually good. But the tension is this, that good is never fully realized, that good is never fully realized redeemed, unless it's redeemed in Christ. Somebody came up to Jesus and said, "Um, teacher, um, he's a good teacher, he called Jesus. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. What Jesus was actually doing is saying, you call me that because that's me. The only truly good one was Jesus Christ. The only perfect man was Jesus Christ. The only perfect human was Christ. And he dwelt in a human body, but in his very being, of being God, he was good, perfect, in fact, very good. And so to be called into the goodness we've been created for, it happens in Christ. Because Christ can forgive us of our ungoodness. Christ can give us a new nature. Though our nature was sin, he gives us a new nature which still does sin but desires to please God. And ultimately, in Christ, we can be made a new creation, a new human, if you will. So to be human, it's to be the image of God. It's to be loved, wanted, cared for. It's to be eternal. It's to be man or woman. It is to be very good. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to start to break some of those things down. Next week, we're going to look at what does it mean to be created for relationship, not romantic relationship, but just relationship. How do we have relationship with people? We're then going to look at how God calls us to great things in our lives. To be human is is to work, to have vocation, to have calling, to walk in God's will. We're going to look at what sin does in the life of humanity and how we need a Savior. And on Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate our new humanity in Christ. And that's where this series is going. And I hope that you'll stick around for it because we need to know what it means to be human. And the only place we're going to find it is in God's Word. Not in a sociology class, 
not in a song, not on the news, not in the media, but it's God's word that can tell us who he's made us to be. And if I want to go to someone to find out who I'm made to be, I want to go to my creator. I don't want to go to a creation and ask them who I'm created to be. I'm going to go straight to the source. And that's where we can go when we look at God's word. Would you bow your heads and pray? If I could have you bow your heads, not because it's just some religious thing we do, but just so you can eliminate distraction. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on these things real quick in this prayer. Um, some of you are fighting that idea of being made in the image of God because you want nothing to do with God. God is for you. God wants what's best for you. And you'll never find your image in any image other than the image of God. It might be tempting to try to conform ourselves to all sorts of things, but it will never bring us joy or fulfillment. It's only going to come from God, where every good and perfect gift comes from. So if you're fighting today that image of God, I'd encourage you. Uh, receive it, embrace it. It's who you've been made to be. Ask yourself, how, how am I doing at imaging God? Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, how are you doing reflecting God as a Christian? If it's, if it's not been so great, um, submit yourself to his image again. Let him conform you to his image. Some of you don't feel loved at all because someone has let you down and has not loved you. And while Fellow human beings may have not loved you the way that God loves you. God loves you greatly so much that he would be willing to lay down his life. The Bible says, I'll paraphrase, this is love that God gave his son. This is love. Love is sacrifice. God loves you, really, truly loves you. Regardless of how far you are from him or how near you are, he loves you. He cares for you greatly. God cares for you greatly. He's mindful of you. You, of all people and all creation, he's mindful of you. Cares for you so much. He, he knit you together in your mother's womb. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You are here for a purpose and for a reason. There is no human being that's ever been a mistake. When I said that before, by the way, just a little insight to what, what I observed taking place in the spirit is that there was... There was something that happened in this group of people today when I said that no human is a mistake. There was like this evil, like, I don't like that. And that's because the enemy wants you to believe that you're a mistake, that you're worthless, that you're a failure, but you're not. God made you. God knit you together. God called you. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. You're wanted by God. Do you feel wanted? Maybe you're not wanted by people, but man, God loves you, and that's greater than any person that could ever want you. People's want comes and goes, but God's doesn't. He always wants you. You are wanted. What's the greatest desire we have as, as children, which we're all just children in adult bodies, by the way. The greatest desire we have as children is that we want someone to want us, to notice us, to care for us, to love us. God wants you. He wants you to be his daughter or his son. You're forever. 
you're forever. Your life will not end. It will perpetually continue in the presence of God or apart from it. Trust in Christ so that it's with him. Put your trust in him. Yeah, he knows your sin. He, he knows where you fall, where you fail. But trust in him. Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ. Turn towards life. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. You will live eternally. You choose where it will be. Choose Christ. To be human is to be male or female. If you feel less than because of whatever you are, you're not less than. God's created you exactly how he wanted you to be. Yeah, there's, there's differences, but you're not less than because you're single. You're not less than because you're a man. You're not less than because you're a woman. You reflect God differently. You're equal in value and worth to every other human, but still God has a place and a role for you to play in all the areas he's created you in. You don't need a husband or a wife to be fully human, but you do need to be in the community of men and women. You're good. To be human is to be good. There's good within you. You have, the, you have capacity for good. You have the capacity actually for very good. When God made you, he said you're good. Yeah, we messed up. But we can have the goodness of God that was bestowed upon us, redeemed and restored through the person of Jesus, the only one who is good. So what's the point of all this today? It means nothing without Christ. Without Christ, we don't find who we were meant to be. To be in Christ is to be fully human. So God, we pray in Jesus' name for your spirit to bring both conviction and peace, to bring both faith and, and just utter trust in your love for us, God, I'm, I'm standing up before these people online and in person referring back to your word. God, I don't want anything, any of my own ideas perpetuated today. I want your ideas perpetuated, your word perpetuated. I pray that your word would do its work, would not return void, and would make an impact and a difference in all of our lives. Help us to have faith to trust in you, Jesus, as our Savior, as our God, so that we can begin to walk in the ways that you've made us to walk. In Jesus' name.